by some very violent Jewish uh, anti-Christ people, they un unbelievers, and they chased him and chased him and tried to kill him many times. One time he was actually uh, under a pile of rocks. They tried to kill him in Lystra. But in Acts chapter 17, he makes his way all through um, uh, Thessalonica, and then he had to escape. And this story is when he uh, actually escaped Thessalonica, a, 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 Gre a Grecian town. Um, and so now he finds himself in Athens, and that is one of the most well, famous uh, cities in the whole world, Athens, Greece. Uh, it's ancient. You know, I've never been there, but boy, there's some beautiful structures, and it used to be the, uh, the height, the power, the, uh, the entire, uh, you know, uh, uh, the seat of power in the world before it was in Rome was, was in uh, uh, Greece, uh, Alexander the Great. And uh, so you have world powers coming and going. And right at the time Paul wrote this um, and uh, uh, gave, gave these uh, illustrations and, and uh, wrote all these uh, things down that he went through, uh, he was at, he was in the, the the thick of the powerful the most powerful place on earth which was Rome and Greece Greco-Roman that's where the Olympics came from and uh, he started churches in all these places Thessalonica Philippi Berea um, and then Corinth and Corinth was actually a place where they the uh, wrestlers and all the Olympic uh, athletes uh, used to go down to Corinth very wicked city so all that whole area. Now, he's in Athens, and he had some spare time. And we're going to pick up in 17, and I want you to see now what, what he was going through was very, very interesting because he was in, uh, it, it was in a time when nobody seemed to know who God was. God was not known to so many people, not, not unlike today. Uh, and so we pick up this story. I want you to go with me, please, uh, to verse 13, um, and so it says, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people, and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So Paul is going to, Go down to Athens. He's going to wait there for uh, Timotheus and Silas. And it picks up in verse 15. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to try our best tonight to define this unknown God. Let's look at verse 15. Now, they that conducted Paul brought him to Athens. And receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus to come, for to come to him with all speed... They departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the whole the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, you 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 just study the ancient world and it's full of idolatry. It is absolutely common in many countries to have idols. I was in the Orient, I've been to Thailand, I've been to Hong Kong, I've been to Singapore, I've been to uh, uh, Korea, uh, I've been to Pattaya Beach, Thailand, I've just been all over, um, and thank, thank Uncle Sam for taking me there too. 
I do. I'm very, very happy that I got a free ride to all those places on a big, huge ship. Well, I saw idolatry. I went to a Hindu wedding one time in Singapore. The place was just filled with trinkets and golden relics and um, just items, uh, figurines, thousands of them. The temple there was a very popular place for the Hindu people to have a wedding. So me and my buddy, we decided that we would attend this wedding because it was open to everybody. Everybody took their shoes off. The women sat on one side, the men sat on the other. It was totally a cultural thing. And they were very ornate, very dressed up in all kinds of regalia and costumes. And all the ladies had just a tremendous array of, of costumes, for better, lack of a better term. The way they dressed, was it was a wedding. Now, in this Hindu temple in the back, it was about twice as big as this building. But in the back, I saw something I never thought I'd ever see, but I saw it. It was a cow standing up like this, gold. It was maybe 15, 20 feet high. On, at the base of this structure was hundreds and hundreds of candles and beads and figurines and things that were obviously given to the idol. And I thought, this is amazing. I'm, I'm watching idolatry firsthand in this world. Uh, National Geographic uh, photographers were all taken. It must have been a famous couple because, and the way they got married, and she put a, a lei or whatever, like in Hawaii, you know those leis that they, they put one over her head, he put, she put one over his head, and uh, they they had some kind of ceremony. I was I was very shocked at the whole thing. I'd never seen. I don't remember everything about it, but I sure remember that great big calf. And I thought, oh my soul, the world is full of idolatry. Look at how many people believe there's something to that. You know, the, in 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 the Roman Catholic Church, do you know that there's just a, a, the same kind of relics? There's candles everywhere and there's all the stained glass and there's figurines and they've sold so many pieces of the cross now that Jesus died on they could build a city of wooden structures they they they've they've done they've done so much they've they've actually had to replace the foot of the statue of Peter at <clears throat> at the Vatican as you go up the steps so many people have crawled those steps knee by knee praying the the, the prayer and the rosary and the prayer and the prayer. On their knees, they've crawled, crawled up those steps and they've actually kissed the foot right off that marble statue. I don't know how many people had to kiss that thing, but you talk about COVID. <laughs> but uh, they, had, they had to replace that, that foot. This, this world's full of idolatry. And Paul was right in the middle of seeing a terrible thing. The whole city, the city wholly given... What city are we talking about? Athens, Greece, full of idolatry. You've heard of Greek mythology, uh, haven't you? And uh, it's kind of fun. It's like uh, just studying all that crazy stuff. Uh, but it's, it's woven its uh, tentacles into our society. Um, you have all kinds of Greek mythology and Roman mythology. 
uh, to this day interwoven in our life. And uh, it's time to get rid of everything, everything. Listen, that's not God. So here's a whole city. They don't know the Lord. They don't know God. Verse 17, let's, let's go there. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. He went to the marketplace in Athens. Watch what happens. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics. Let me give you a, a nutshell about those two groups of people. The Epicureans, they were thinking that uh, we've got to try everything. We've got to uh, uh, bulimic, um, gluttony, and uh, uh, all kinds of immorality. Anything goes. Let's try it. Let's, let's experience everything. The, the other side of that is the Stoics. They are very, uh, very deep in thought, uh, very, very meticulous and deep and sober, and uh, they, they, everything's wrong. Every, they, they, they don't want to be, they're the opposite of the Epicureans. So you have these groups of people, and you know the philosophers of the day, and you had these Greek philosophers that used to get up, and they used to, uh, of course, uh, meet at Aeropagus. It was a place where they had uh, kind of a, a, an open forum uh, where they would talk about things. And uh, it's like a think tank, you know, a, a, a philosophy uh, marketplace of philosophy, thinking. Orators would get up and speak. And uh, uh, there, remember, there's no cell phones, there's no electricity, there's no, there's no TV me media, there's no cameras, there's no recording equipment. But for a man to get up and, and have his turn to speak, that was the epitome of oratory. And they would get up and talk. And, uh, and, and there was Cicero and all these uh, fancy philosophers. Now this is what Paul got into. And here's this short little Jewish guy. Hey, let me tell you about that. <laughs> he got up and started preaching. And uh, they were not happy. They were not happy. Let's look at verse uh, 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other, other some he, he seemed, seemed to be a set, setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. What a tremendous opportunity that man had. How would you like, how would you like to do that? How would you like to go someplace and have a forum where they gave you the floor in the middle of a whole place where nobody believed in the Lord, and He and God gave you the opportunity to speak in the name of Jesus. I tell you, I, I I'm just so jealous. Look at verse 19. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus. That was a great big outcrop of rock, and it was like a stage, and that's where they used to give their oratory uh, messages, and uh, saying, "May we know." What this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. So Paul got to be the first one to give them the gospel. They'd never heard it before. Can you imagine that? That he got to go up where history was being made. In Athens, Greece at the Areopagus, And give the gospel out. What a tremendous, I wish they'd make a movie about this. 
For all the Athenians, those are people in Athens, the Athenian. I'm a Bellinghamian or whatever. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Lindenite. I don't know what they call us up there. Um, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Oh, what a terrible world we've got. You know, today in America, we've got a problem. We've got a whole great, wonderful, big country with all kinds of power and might and wealth. And uh, the gospel is dying. The gospel is not being preached. The, there's so many people, everything. It's like the, the Epicureans are taking over. Anything goes. Drugs, marijuana, immorality, anything. Don't, except don't be uh, so hard on somebody as to tell them that Jesus loves them and he wants to save them from their sin. Well, Paul stood up. Look at verse number 22. Paul stood up and praised God he got to do this. I love this story. Paul stood up in the midst of Mars Hill. That's the Areopagus. That's, that's what they called it, Mars Hill. And said, quote, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Boy, that got their attention, didn't it? You guys are all superstitious. Look what he said. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life, <clears throat> breath, and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on, the, on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's hand, device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men, clave unto him and believed among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Demarius and others with them boy he didn't win the whole crowd did he still a lot of unbelievers in the world there's a lot of people out there that don't know God that's what you're here for that's what I'm here for how many know God how many know you have a God and his name 
His son's name is Jesus, and he died on the cross, and he did it for you, and he shed his blood for you. How many believe that? Amen. You know what? You're quite a special group of people here. They didn't win very many in Oropagus, a few. But praise God, you got the gospel. And you know, we don't have an unknown God anymore. I didn't know anything about God. By the way, Father's Day, do you know how people are supposed to find out about God? It's supposed to be by the dad. Do you know the dad, the father of a home, is the, is the epitome of responsibility? Do you know that, that the dad in the home is supposed to run? Okay, hunt, we're going we're gonna to go here, we're going to go there. We're, you say, oh, no, that's so chauvinistic. Oh, no. Hey, listen, read the Bible. Amen. The, the dad's supposed to be a good guy. He's supposed to be a good guy. He's supposed to take responsibility. He's supposed to guide the home. He's supposed to run things. It's, it's just the way God made it. I'm sorry about this world that we live in because they think any, 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 uh, any father that actually tries to do a good job, he's ridiculed, he's mocked, he's, uh, he's, he's fought at every turn. He's made a fool of. They make cartoon shows about death. They call him Homer, and they ridicule him, and they tell, they tell ladies, oh, you should never have a man lead you. You shouldn't do that. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, Well, listen, the devil's involved with all this nonsense. I want to thank God for my dad. Amen. He was flawed, but I love him. And he did a great job. And I wish today that he was here because I would, I would hug him and love him and tell him, I don't care what mistakes you ever made. Thank you so much for putting clothes on my back. Thank you for digging ditches. Thank you for bringing home a paycheck. In the 70s, my dad, you know, he made, he made only $1,300 and got paid once a month. Do you know that's, that's, that's almost... that. That's our cell phone today. A nice cell phone, 1300 bucks. He made $1,300 in one month, and he got paid once a month. And yet, we had a home. I had uh, I shared a bedroom with my brother. We ate. We had a wonderful, wonderful little home. And my dad, to God be the glory, to God be the glory, gave me a good dad. You know what the responsibilities of the father is in the home. He's supposed to take all this and filter through it and say, now son, daughter, uh, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. Now, not, not everybody has to do what I say. You know what? The, uh, when somebody turns 18, and Joanna, don't listen to this now. <laughs> Uh, technically and legally, they can do whatever they jolly well please. Boy, I hope she doesn't hear this. But, no, really, uh, it's true, isn't it? Legally. But the, the problem is, is that the world, the world tells young kids, you do whatever you want. I don't care what your parents say. Did you realize that the, that the state education system is trying to usurp the authority of the home and take the authority away from the father and the mother and they are getting into the lives of young people and they're teaching them in school 
It doesn't matter what your parents say. It doesn't matter what they want. You are free at the age of five, six, seven, and eight. And I'll tell you what, they're just usurping the authority of the dad. Now, granted, this world is hurting for good fathers. Amen. Do you realize that way, the way God made it is the first thing that a child gets to see when they begin to uh, talk and walk and learn and look and listen and uh, all the stimuli comes into their heart and their mind and their soul? Do you know what they're supposed to hear? They're supposed to hear their dad and mom loving each other and praying, and they're supposed to hear a few, a few good songs, right? They're supposed to hear some, some type of Bible scripture in, in the home. They're supposed to hear, I love you. They're supposed to hear. They're supposed to be taught what life is all about. Right. And here you've got Athens and, and all these people in Athens, and the whole place is wholly given to idolatry, and they had no idea who God was. That's where we're going in the world today. It's sad. It's sad. But the vast majority of the people in this world still don't know God. In China, the majority of people in China have yet really to understand who God is. Unbelievers. In India, as I said this morning, both of those countries have a combined population of over 2 billion people. You take the continent of Africa. How many people in Africa, the whole continent, actually know and believe in Jesus Christ? How many people in Russia actually know and believe in Jesus Christ? The entire Middle East. How many people have already rejected Jesus Christ in the Middle East? All of Jordan and Syria and Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Yemen and all those places. How many people actually really know the Lord Jesus? Not very many. It's sad. We still have a world with an unknown God. The entire Middle East, I would say South America is doing a little bit better. Missionaries have gone into South America and they're doing a much better job in Brazil and Argentina and Venezuela. And of course, Brother Lane's coming for the graduation next uh, Sunday. He's going to Honduras and they have a wonderful church there. Now, the actual the building that they built in Honduras for the ministry there has been uh, uh, eyed and, and coveted by the government of Honduras. And uh, they, they are requiring people to come. They're holding uh, uh, government meetings. Uh, they're using the building. In other words, they're commanding everybody to go to church. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm sure Brother Lane can tell us more, but... In, in North America, I'm, I'm sad to say that America's slipping away. Europe, I wouldn't say that everybody in Europe knows the Lord. Boy, the, 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 the religions of the world, the, the Hinduism and the Roman Catholicism and the, uh, the, free, the freedom. But, you know, I thought, I thought the Holland, uh, Amsterdam and Holland and Sweden and Norway, I thought that was really neat. But you know what? They, that, that's a godless place up there. That's a very, very cold, godless place in all the areas of our planet. Can you imagine how sad it is to this day that Athens doesn't really know much about the Lord anymore? I'm sure there's, there's exceptions. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying nobody's getting saved. I'm certainly not saying that. Missionaries are everywhere, but they're being overwhelmed by unbelief, and the world is not going to come to Christ in, in the majority. It's still unknown. 
And why is that? I, I lay it right at the feet of, of you and I uh, not praying. I lay it right at the feet of myself, uh, and, I, and I pray that I could do more for the Lord. But you know, the, the missionaries are wonderful people, and I thank God we support missionaries because they're doing a great job. They're winning people to the Lord. But how do you know God? Well, I, this is an age-old problem. Would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah real quickly, please? Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45. We might need to turn the, um, the air down a little bit, maybe a, a degree or so. Um, let's go to Isaiah chapter 45, please, in verse number 5. Now, it says in verse number 5, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and the west, uh, from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Amen. I form the light. I create darkness. I make peace. I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Oh, my goodness, this whole world, they could know God if they want to. All they have to do. Now, how do you know God? I'm going to give you a couple of ways. Number one, number one, you dads, you are the representative of God in your family. You're not God, and you're not the Lord, and you're not uh, you're, you're not supposed to be some despotic slave driving king. Uh, your wife is not supposed to be a slave. You're not. Your kids aren't supposed to be loyal subject. When you come into the house, the whole house is not supposed to go. Oh. Oh, Dad's home. Oh, yes, Father, what is it? Hey, that's a wrong kind. I don't want that in my house unless the kids are doing something wrong. But, uh, amen. I don't want that. I, I, want, I want what I had today. I want a family that loves their dad. I want a dad that loves their family. I want to be happy. I, I want there to be joy and harmony and love and, and uh, frivolity and, and things. It's just just a, an atmosphere of sweetness. Um, I, I, don't want, I, I don't want my family to be scared of me. Oh, my goodness. There's, there's some people in this world that they just don't understand that the, the people that, you, that God gives you, souls in your home, they are raised up. They're supposed to know God. By the way, husbands... Husbands, do you know you're supposed to love your wife like Jesus loved the church? That's a big command, isn't it? This world is going to know God by Christians. And we're going to know God by creation. Let's turn to uh, Romans 1. Did you know that all around us, and I'm not, a, I'm not one of these earth muffin people that thinks that you, you can't step on a bug and you... You shouldn't hunt and shouldn't fish and all that. I'm, man, there's, not, there's nothing better than a good piece of elk meat. But anyway, and I like salmon too. Thank you. 
by the very creation, Romans chapter 1. I'm not going to be long tonight, but I want you to know all around us there's evidence of God. God can be seen if you look for him in the right way. He's evident. He, he, he has the right to show himself the way he wants to. Now, Romans chapter 1, uh, it says, uh, verse 21, Because that when they, knew, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see, the world, they, they could know God if they want to. But look, look at verse 19. Just go back two verses. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Those people on Mars Hill had no excuse to have a temple or uh, alter to the unknown God. Amen. You don't have an excuse not to know God. Right. Ignorance is no excuse when it comes to God. You can have a relationship with Him. You can get as close as you want to God. You can have God answer your prayers. You can have God bless you. You can have miracles happen in your life. You can have a good home. You can Listen, if God can bless me from a trailer park uh, the way I grew up, and, and it wasn't all bad, don't get me wrong, but we, we just never went to church. If God can take me and, and, and touch my heart and give me a wonderful wife and a wonderful family and a great church and a happy heart and a future and 25 years at the same church and all the things I've been able to do for the Lord, I'm nothing special. How come God can do that for me? Why did God do that for me? Who in the world am I? I'm nothing. I'm just a long-haired, dope-smoking, little creepy kid of 17. Not anymore, but I, I, I was. I got saved. Amen. I'll tell you, I wanted to know God. If God can answer my prayer, he can answer anybody's prayer. If God can say, I'll show you myself, then he can do it to anybody. Amen. If God can take me and say, well, listen to that. I don't, I'd love to know how God was. I'd love to know his reaction to my prayer. I remember walking, Lord, would you please help me? I don't want to live this way anymore. Help me, clean me up, do something for me. I wonder what, I wonder as if I could see the picture of God listening to my prayer when he heard that prayer. I, I kind of wonder what he did. I think he was wonderful. I've got something for you to do. All right. That's what I've been waiting for. <laughs> Angels, did you hear that? The Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner that repents. Amen. That's Bible. I didn't come up with that. 
I don't know how they get happy in heaven, but brother, when they, when they hear somebody say, Lord, would you help me? Would you be with me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you bless my life? I want to live for you. I want, I want you to run my life. I want to be blessed. I, I need miracles. God, would you please help me? I'm a sinner, and I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I've been. The world's too confusing. Could you please help me? Would you do it? take me? Can I just crawl up into your arms, and would you help me? I know God says, yes, oh, I love and wanting to hear that. That's what God wants to hear. You know, when uh, one day my mom took a picture of me one time, and I was, I'm, I was kind of embarrassed uh, when I saw the picture. She snuck up on me, and uh, my dad was on the couch, and uh, I had come home, I think, the first time on leave from the Navy, and I was just overwhelmed with uh, all I was going through. It was just good to be home. I went home and I sat on the couch and my dad and I, you know, we, we had some tough times there for a while. But then uh, we got to be closer. The older I got, the smarter he got. As I grew up, he got smart, finally. <laughs> but we had a great relationship for, for a while before he died. But when I was when I was home, I think my first time, I came home and I, I just, I just leaned over on him. I put my arm around him, and I put my head on his, uh, my head on his shoulder, and I was just sitting there hugging my dad. Uh, Nineteen years old. It's okay to do that. That's right. It's all right. And if your if your nineteen year old wants to give you a hug, uh, don't push him away. My mom snuck up, click, <laughs> took a picture of me. And, I, you know, I don't know how to feel about that. I shouldn't be embarrassed, amen? amen. That was giving me, I was giving him a man hug. That's right. That's, right, that's what I'm talking about. But I love that picture now. I wish he was still there on the couch. I don't, he'd be 85 or so, I'd, I'd still run over and give him a hug. I love my dad, because he did teach me a lot. You know, Romans says the world, the creation can teach you about God. Just take a look. Number two, you don't have to turn there, but man's conscience is not as dull as you think it is. People get convicted. Now, some consciences are seared with a hot iron, because of the tremendous amount of sin that people commit. And you, they can really get so deep into sin that they can't hear anymore and their hearts are just stone cold, crystallized in dark black uh, coal uh, hardness. Uh, and that happens. You know, your heart can get hard, by the way. Keep a soft heart. But your conscience is alive. Uh, not all people have a sensitive conscience. But man is born with a conscience. He's born with some kind of a awareness. Animals don't have a conscience. Uh, a dog can look like he's got a conscience, but actually he's just ashamed of hurting his master. But that's not a conscience. That's physical, carnal reaction. But animals don't have what you and I have. We're not animals. We're, we're, and God is not an animal. We're created in the likeness of the Lord God. We have a heart and a soul and a mind, and we have a body, and we have, we have the ability to, uh, to understand 
and uh, reason, and uh, we have an ability to have conviction in our hearts. And don't get mad at conviction. By the way, how many promise never to be mad at me for the rest of your life if I preach something and you don't like it? Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. I promise you won't be mad at me. Because if I preach the Bible and it says you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, it's not my fault. Right? It's not my fault. You don't like it, man? Take it up with the Bible, amen? I, no, I, I, it preaches to me too. We're all, you get into the Bible, it's a mirror. Say, oh boy, look at that. I've got a problem. Hey, let's, uh, let's not get mad at the mailman. Let's not get mad at the preacher. Right. Let's, let's have that conscience awareness, a conscience void of offense before God and man. Thirdly, not only your conscience, but lastly, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 and we're going to finish. So we have the Bible. We have this wonderful book. How do you know God? Pick up the Bible. Amen. <laughs> He's not unknown to you that have a Bible. This book is a miracle book. Amen. I could preach for hours and hours and hours how you and I have the perfect, inerrant Word of God. Amen. You look in the King James Bible, I dare you to try to find a mistake in it. I, I challenge you to go into the Scripture and find a mistake. I've found them in the NIV. I've found them in the RSV. I've found them in the New International Version, the English Version. I've found it in the Way, the Living Bible, Good News for Modern Man, uh, New American Standard. I've, I've studied all the versions. And if I didn't study, I wouldn't be able to say this with a clear conscience. I have never found a mistake in this Bible. Amen. But I've found plenty of errors and omissions. I've got stacks of papers in my library that shows you every word as it's compared. I'm glad God gave us the Holy Bible. Amen. It's enough. It's too much to memorize. <laughs> I, by the way, I apologize. I haven't memorized every word of this Bible yet. There's uh, 66 different books. I'm working on it, though. I'd rather live it than have it known in a way that I could rote memorize it and spit it out like a, a memorization thing. Nothing wrong with memorization, but I'd rather do what a few verses say. I'd rather have it grab a hold of me. I'd rather say, wow, that's what God said. Yes, that's what God said. God gave that to me. I'm going to do that. Uh, be not hearers of the word, but... Doers of the word. Don't deceive yourself. There's lots of people that know a lot. I don't care what people know. I want them to do what the Bible says. I have brethren that are saved. And they know more about the King James Bible than I will ever know. They can tell you everything. And yet, they don't want to live it. Like, give me somebody that just wants to live it. Amen. Amen. Just, just live it. Look at Hebrews 4. The Bible is the way that you get to know God. So we have creation, you have the conscience, and thirdly, the canon. It's the, the 66 books that make up the Bible is the, the scripture that has been canonized. The, um, the uh, well, the uh, 
Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, that's been canonized in America. That's what that means. We have that as official documentation. That is what we believe. That is what we run our country on. That is law. Okay, so for canonized scripture, we have the King James Bible. It's canonized. We have the conscience, we have creation, and we have the canon of scripture. Look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. Tell me, does that tell us that the word of God affects your physical body sometimes? Is that what that means? That's exactly what that means. Well, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying read the Bible, you'll feel better. Amen. That's all I'm saying. Is that right? Amen. Read the Bible. Believe it. Practice it. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying that this is the cure for any kind of cancer. I'm not some whacked out nut that says, hey, let's bring a, a snake into the service. And it says right there, it, it, oh, listen, lots of preachers have died trying that nonsense. So I'm not saying that if you read the Bible, you'll never get sick. I'm not saying if you read the Bible, you'll never have to go to the hospital. But I am saying it makes you feel better. If you read the Bible, it does have an effect on your spirit, your conscience, your emotions. It straightens things out in your brain. It gives you hope. It gives you love. You know, there's no pill to take that gives you love. There's no pill that you can take that gives you peace. Uh, hon, can you hand me the peace pills quick? Uh, I, I need peace. Give me a pill. <laughs> no, sorry. You don't get to do that. There's no medicine that gives you joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Hand me a couple of those faith pills, will you, please? Thank you. Uh, no, no, you can't take a spoonful of faith. But the Bible does have a tremendous effect on your spirit and on your body, your countenance. Oh, there's been times I woke up in the middle of the night. And I'm, you can ask my wife. Sometimes I just overcome with just stress. And I, it, I don't know where it comes from sometimes. It just, it just like a, it's like a monkey on my back. And I know that I worry about things I shouldn't worry about. But I don't know why. I wish I'd just, I wish, just leave me alone, let me sleep all night. But sometimes I wake up worrying about stuff. And I read the Bible and I fall back to sleep. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing sunder, soul, spirit, joints, and the marrow. And look at this. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Amen. What, a, what a God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. So he gives us creation. He gives us a conscience. And he gives us the canon of scripture. I have no excuse not to know God. And those Athenians, aren't you glad that Paul got up there and preached and had a few people get saved? Amen. You know, that man is a marvelous man in the Bible. You can follow him in all of his journeys, and you can, you can understand that he came from a, a very unbelieving religion, and he got saved and baptized and followed the Lord and gave his life to God. What a tremendous story. Oh, my God. 
I just love reading about Paul. And I love the fact that our fathers in America still have the opportunity to get their families in church, get their families in the Bible, and uh, start living properly. Well, to the unknown God, I wonder how superstitious America is going to get. Have you ever thought about what's going to happen to America? I'm worried about her. For the first time in my life, I'm more worried about my country than I've ever been. I'm more upset with the way she's going. But I know why she doesn't know God. But we do. We know him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Let's trust God tonight in fathers and would-be fathers and future fathers. Make sure that you represent God in your family.